You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. As we prepare our hearts now for this Christmas season, this time of Advent, we turn our attention to Luke. And so for Christmas, what we're going to be doing is walking through the birth narrative of Luke's gospel. So Luke has an extended birth narrative in chapter one and chapter two, and we're just going to go verse by verse through this section of scripture as we prepare our hearts and just celebrate the coming of God's King, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read the text before us today. We're going to look at Luke chapter one, verse five through 38. Luke chapter one, verse 5 through 38. And so I'll read the text for us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in, seeing what God has to teach us from his word this morning. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we gather for worship this morning, Lord, we confess that, Lord, our hearts are are burdened, exhausted, busy. Lord, over all the events from this last week, and Lord, all the events to come this next week as we approach this Christmas season. And Father, we pray that as your people gathered for worship, Lord, that you would help our hearts to rest in the wonderful good news of your King who has come into this world. Father, I pray, Lord, that our hearts and that our minds, Lord, that you would help us to focus on the wonderful gift of your Son, Jesus, who has left his throne of heaven who has condescended and who has become one of us dwelling among us to save us from our sins. Father, as we ponder the wonderful good news of your word this morning, Lord, may our hearts be glad and may we accept your word as true. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So believe it or not, Christmas time is here It seems to keep coming faster and faster, but I think that's just part of getting older. It just seems like Christmas has come quicker and quicker and quicker. Maybe that's just me. But but for many of us, this is a a wonderful time of year, isn't it? It's a wonderful time filled with festivities and family and food, largely kicked off by the Thanksgiving celebrations we've had this week. And it's a wonderful time, but for a lot of us, it's also a very busy time. It's a hectic time. It's a time of planning and organizing and shopping. And so whether the thought of Christmas excites you or exhausts you, I pray that this season of celebrating the birth of Jesus, that Jesus indeed would be our focus, that he would be the one that grips our hearts because Christmas ultimately is the festival of the incarnation a time in which we Christians have traditionally set aside to remember the events of Luke's gospel here, Luke 1 and 2, the arrival and birth of our Savior. 
And so even through all the hustle and bustle that comes from this Christmas season, I think even still there tends to be this almost meditative aura around this time of year. Because I think Christmas just demands our reflection. It requires our minds to slow down and to remember the priceless gift of God's only son to us. Because as Christians, as those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ, we know that Christmas is ultimately about Jesus, right? And we must remind ourselves of this truth. I know I do, because we are just so prone to destruction, to the festivities of it all. And to the watching world celebrating Christmas, the focusing on Jesus can be kind of strange and disorienting, and to some people even offensive. But there is something quaint about the birth of Jesus Christ. And even though it's quaint, even though we remember the the, the nativity and the quietness of that night that probably wasn't all that quiet, right? With a newborn baby crying into the world. We cannot remember that Christmas marks something absolutely revolutionary. It marks the birth of God's king and thus the birth of God's kingdom, a kingdom that stands in opposition to the world in which we live. You see, the arrival of Jesus threatens the the brokers of power and it unsettles the many faulty foundations that so many people live their lives upon. Because as followers of Jesus, we have responded to the announcement of Jesus' coming. We have responded with the joy of belief. How precious and wonderful these truths are that Christ has come into the world. We have trusted in this long expected, but now arrived Messiah. But still for others, the thought of Christmas, of God sending himself into the world in the Son, Jesus Christ, will not elicit joyous belief, but will elicit suspicious distrust. You see, this Christmas, we're going to be walking through these first two chapters of Luke, commonly called the the birth narratives. And one of the neat things that Luke does in his opening of his gospel is he weaves together two different baby stories. He weaves together the story of John the Baptist with the story of Jesus, demonstrating how God is prophetically and providentially working to set the stage for his Messiah, his Christ to come. And so as we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 38, we're going to, to see, as we've just read, two angelic announcements announcing two babies and the two different responses that the parents had to the news. So when Zechariah is told By the angel of John, Zechariah responds in disbelief. But when Mary is told by the angel of Jesus, we see that Mary responds in trust. And so as we consider these two announcements, these two babies, their their parents, I think Luke is in many ways, as he's setting the stage of this gospel, he's, he's almost putting the mirror on our hearts. How will you, how will I, how will we respond to the good news of Christmas? Will we respond in disbelief or will we respond in joyous trust? So here's the the sermon summary. The good news of Christ's coming will elicit 
disbelief or trust. Disbelief or trust. So let's, let's first think through Zechariah's disbelief. And we see this in chapter 1, verse 5 through 13. And so as, the, the, as Luke begins, he, he first introduces us here to this guy named Zechariah and his wife named Elizabeth. And as he tells us a little bit about this couple, we, we see that they're a couple, a noble people from privileged families who lived righteously before God. But yet this couple had a, a struggle, a, a recurring wrestling in their hearts because they struggled with infertility. Elizabeth was barren. She had not been able to have children. And now they were both advanced in years. They were old, making the birth of a child seemingly impossible. However, God would intervene. God would do something about it. God would do the impossible to prepare the way for his son through John the Baptist. So let's look at the angel's announcement here in verse 5 through 13 of, of Zechariah's disbelief. So Zechariah, we, we see the scene kind of unfolding here, that Zechariah was one of approximately 18,000 priests during this time. That's a lot of priests. 18,000, that's approximate, but, but typically what happened is at the temple in Jerusalem twice a day, there was a burnt offering made along with incense in the holy place of the temple. And remember the holy place, only the priest could go into. And so the evening offering was often accompanied with a, a mass crowd. Everybody would gather around the temple in the outer courts and they would just gather for an evening time of prayer. And so this was kind of a well-attended event that happened every evening where there would be a sacrifice, lighting some incense, and a time of prayer. So because of the number of priests, 18,000 of them, the priests couldn't all do this job, right? The priests cast lots to determine who would get to light the incense each day. And so priests only had the privilege of doing this once in his whole career. Again, 18,000, they all had to share the load. And so a priest only had one opportunity to do this. And on this day, we're told, Zechariah was the one selected by lots to go into the temple and to light incense upon the altar. This was a moment that would mark the highlights of his career as a priest. This is, this is the pinnacle of all he's been working towards his whole life, all his labor. This is it. This is the climax. This is the mountaintop experience, so to speak, of his priestly work, going into the temple and getting to light the incense upon the altar. So this is an exciting day for Zechariah. And on this day, Zechariah would receive unexpected and shocking news from an unexpected and shocking visitor. And who was that visitor? Well, it was the angel. So again, trying to put yourself in Zechariah's shoes, so to speak, I'm sure Zechariah was filled with a lot of nervous energy on this day as the evening came. And as he prepared himself to enter into the holy place, into the temple, to light the altar of incense, and a whole multitude stood outside of the temple courts for the occasion, praying to the Lord, and, and Zechariah needed to step up and do his job. And so he goes in front of the people, and he walks into the temple for this special honor, the highlight of his career. And he looked in the temple, and he saw the altar of incense, and he saw an angel of the Lord standing right next to it. 
So Luke tells us in verse 12 how Zechariah responded to the sighting of this angel. We're told that Zechariah's immediate response was fear and trembling. He was troubled and fearful. So, so remember, Zechariah was a priest. He knew the law pretty good. He had Leviticus known. He, he knew the book. He was familiar with the commands of God's law. He knew what happened to those who defiled God's temple. He had read the law. He knew the gravity of his task. He, he had heard, he had read about the deaths of Nadab and Abihu who were consumed by the fire of God's glory for defiling his presence. And so I'm sure when Zechariah walks in and he sees the angel standing right there by the altar, I'm sure fear would strike him. Would this be his end? Had he botched the crowning moment of his priestly career? Has he defiled the temple in some sense? Is he going to be consumed? Will this angel be the end of him? However, the angel comforts Zechariah. The angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. You see, the angel was not there to destroy the man, but the angel was there to notify him that God will answer his prayers. This long, multi-year, not just multi-year, multi-decade prayer that he and his wife had prayed for children. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. They implored the Lord for a child. And now the Lord has sent an angelic messenger to notify Zechariah of God's response, of God's answer. Look at what the angel says. He says, do not be afraid, verse 13, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So who is this baby? What is this baby's purpose? Well, the angel tells us in verse 14 through 17, as the, the angel foretells the birth of this baby, John, the angel gives Zechariah a glimpse into God's purpose of this baby, for this baby. You see, the baby will be the cause of great joy, of, of gladness, not only for his parents, who have long awaited a child, not only will they be, be filled with joy over the gift of a baby, but this baby will be cause for gladness by so many others. We're told that John will be great before the Lord, that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's wombs, and that the Lord will use this baby to lead a movement of spiritual renewal among God's people, to recapture the wandering hearts of the nation of Israel, and he will reorient them. He'll put them on the right track. He'll point them to the Lord. And John will be just like the prophets of old, the angel says. He'll be like Elijah. And God will use John to, to turn the hearts of his people back towards him. He is the one who will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. A people prepared. You see, that this baby will be the one who will prepare the way for who? For the Messiah. For the Messiah. He is the one promised in Isaiah that, that Pastor James read for us earlier in our service. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You see, Zechariah's son will play a pivotal role of preparing the way for the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one of God, the long-awaited Savior. 
You see, the kingdom of God is soon to come. It is coming soon, and it will be Zechariah's own son, the angel says, who will make straight his way. And on one of the most important days of Zechariah's life, he received this incredible and unexpected news from the angel. Not only would he have a son, a dream that he and his wife had longed for, but this son would have a special purpose, a divine purpose. He would be the one preparing the way for the Messiah. He would be the Messiah's forerunner, a prophet of the living God. What wonderful good news Zechariah received. But let's look at the parent's response. How does Zechariah respond in verse 18 through 25? What do we see happening here? You see, Zechariah's response to the angel's announcement isn't met initially with excitement, but is met with suspicion. As he hears the angel's announcement, it almost sounds too good to be true, if not downright impossible. How, how could he have a son? How, and so look at what Zechariah responds to the angel in verse 18. He says, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Zechariah might not know much, but he knows how biology works, right? They're, they're too far gone. Right? There's no way they can have a child now. And as we will see, Mary is also going to respond to the angel's announcement with a question. But it's a question of a very different sort, as we'll find out. You see, Zechariah's question is one of unbelief one of doubt, not of curiosity or wonderment. Because we know this is the, the, the posture of Zechariah's question based on how the angel Gabriel responds to Zechariah's question. Because Gabriel responds with a rebuke. Look at what Gabriel says in Luke chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You see, Gabriel struck Zechariah with silence because, he says, of his unbelief. You see, Gabriel left the presence of God he came and approached Zechariah in the temple to give him this wonderful good news, this birth announcement of this baby boy, exciting news, life-changing news. God would give Zechariah the baby that he longed for. And not only that, but this baby would be the forerunner to the Messiah, the ushering in of the kingdom of God. And yet Zechariah did not respond in joy and trust and belief, but instead he responds with doubts. Doubts. Could God really give him a child in his old age and through his barren old wife? That just doesn't happen. It's not natural. How can Zechariah know that this will come to pass? And so Zechariah completes his duties. But the long delay in the temple makes the crowd outside begin to wonder kind of what's going on. Makes them worry. Is Zechariah all right? Did something happen to him in there? Did he get struck down? And so when Zechariah emerged, they find that Zechariah could not communicate anymore. He was mute. And the people knew that something had happened in there. They, didn't, they weren't sure what, but they knew something had happened, some sort of vision. 
And so the service concluded and the mystery of Gabriel's announcement stayed unknown. And so Zechariah goes home. And in spite of Zechariah's unbelief, we see that God continues to fulfill what he promises. Isn't that good news? God fulfills the promise of his word, whether we believe it or not. His word is true. And so Elizabeth did conceive and she withdrew for five months. And so the reason for her withdrawal uh, is, is unknown, but we see here that this pregnancy is, is a cause of praise for her, a cause of praise. We see a glimpse of the comfort that will come by God's power and grace as he moves, removes this mother's reproach, her pain, her disappointment, and he gifts Elizabeth with this baby she most desperately wanted. Again, in Elizabeth's joy of welcoming this new baby, we see the, the purpose of Christ in coming to undo the sorrows as he turns our sorrows into joys. So Elizabeth did conceive. As the birth of John is announced by the angel to Zechariah, we know that John will play an important role in the coming of the Messiah. But we also see in Zechariah's response here a wrong way to respond to the miraculous and wonderful good news of Christmas. Some who hear about the good news of Jesus and his coming and the arrival of the Messiah, they respond with doubt and suspicion. They question, is it really true? Is it really possible? And so Zechariah shows us that one of the responses we can have to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus, is we can respond in disbelief. So Zechariah's heart is going to change when the baby arrives, and he's going to give this wonderful prophecy later on in the chapter. But however, I think Mary's response, Luke contrasts with that of Zechariah, and he shows Mary's humble yet confident trust in the Lord. So let's look at Mary's trust, secondly, in verse 26 through 38. Mary's trust. So the angel Gabriel had one assignment to go to Zechariah, announce the baby, John, but Gabriel wasn't done yet. So God sent Gabriel to the city of Nazareth to give an unexpected young woman, a virgin named Mary, who was engaged to Joseph, good news. And so in contrast to the, the high-profile announcement of John in the temple, the birth announcement of the Messiah of Jesus is relatively humble, isn't it? This announcement will be given to this lowly young woman named Mary. And so let's look at the angel's announcement here in verse 26 through 30. So, so Mary is a young woman. At the youngest, she was probably 12. At the oldest, she was probably 18. And so by our newly invented modern categories, Mary would be considered a teenager today. But this young woman sets a, a wonderful example of godliness and of trust in the Lord. So the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and greets her. And look what the, the angel says. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Similar to Zechariah, Mary's response is initially one of trouble. <laughs> the surprise and shock of the, the angelic announcement will cause anyone to try to figure out what's going on here. What is this angel trying to communicate to me? This is unusual to say the least. And so after all, it's not every day you, you see an angel let alone one that announces that you found favor with the Lord. So the Catholic church has tended to confuse Mary's purpose here. You know, due in large part to Gabriel's greetings, because Gabriel gives 
her a greeting and calls her favored one. So the Catholic Church translates this phrase as, as gracious one and believes that this phrase almost attributes a special status to Mary. And so they twist and expand Mary's role far beyond what the Bible actually says of Mary to the point where a lot of Catholics pray to Mary and, 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 and confess sin to Mary and all sorts of things. And so they, they elevate Mary to the role of mediator. And some throughout church history have even claimed that Mary was sinless or that she remained a virgin her entire life. Even though, as we've seen, just as we studied Jude, that Mary had other children, including Jesus' half-brother Jude. So obviously that's, that's not right. So we have to reject this elevation of Mary And we have to remember the word of the Lord in which the Apostle Paul tells us that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And so there is one mediator. We don't need Mary to be our mediator. And so even though the elevation of Mary in Catholic theology is a distortion of the word of God that ought to be rejected, Mary does serve as an example today of a godly young woman who is fully committed, fully obedient to God, and who was a special recipient of God's grace in the privilege of being the mother to our Lord. And so in this unexpected announcement, in this blessed greeting, I'm sure Mary was a bit confused about the angelic guest and and the purpose of his appearing. And Mary would find out that she would indeed bear a child. And this baby had a divine purpose, similar to John. This baby is something altogether different. This baby is the deliverer. This baby is the Messiah. This baby is the one promised of old. So let's look at the baby's purpose here in verse 31 through 33. So so Gabriel tells Mary that she will conceive in her womb a child and shall call his name Jesus. This Jesus is the son of the Most High, the promised king who will, uh, whom God will give him the throne of his father David. He is the promised king in the lineage of David who will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of whose kingdom there will be no end. This is it. This is the king. This is the promised one. This is the baby, the, the one, the first baby is preparing the way for. This is the Christ. So John will come to prepare the way, but Jesus is the promised king, the long expected, awaited and anticipated king. He is the true son of David and Jesus will enter in a kingdom without end. See, so much of this birth announcement to Mary here is just rooted in the covenantal language that God had made with David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. where where God promised David, he said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, this announcement, this birth announcement that Gabriel gives to Mary, it's just rooted in this covenantal expectation of David's lineage that it is through the lineage of David that that God would send an eternal king. And Gabriel makes this announcement and he makes it explicit that this Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. This is the divinely appointed king, the Messiah that had been promised. 
You see, the name Jesus means Savior. It comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, and it means Yahweh saves. Jesus is the Savior. That's, that's what the purpose of his coming. He is the deliverer sent by God who will rescue God's people from their sins. And it is this Jesus who will reign over the house of Jacob without end. And so the birth of Jesus is the birth of God's forever king. So let's look at the parents' response here. Verse 34 through 38. How does Mary respond to this news? So like Zechariah, Mary received a message from the angel Gabriel, an unexpected message about an unexpected baby who's got a divine purpose. However, Zechariah and Mary respond very differently to their birth announcements. While Zechariah responds with disbelief, Mary responds with humble trust in the Lord. So Mary also responds to the angel with a question. Did you catch that? This question that Mary asks is not one of doubt, but it's one of wonderment. After all, with the the normal marriage relationship between Elizabeth and Zachariah, I guess there was always an opportunity to conceive a child through their marital union. But Mary wonders, how will this happen to her? How will she have a baby even though she is a virgin? So Mary's question is not one of, of doubt or denial, but curiosity and wonderment. She asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? So we know the posture of Mary's question because of the way Gabriel responds to Mary's question. So when Zechariah's question was met with rebuke, Mary's question is met with encouragement. The angel answered that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and overshadow her and that the baby conceived in her womb will, will be conceived supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thus, thus, this baby, this Jesus, will be born of woman, but conceived by God. You see, the virgin birth is so historically important and foundational to our doctrine of the person of Christ. Because here we see the union between Jesus' humanity and his deity. That Jesus is at the same time one of us, and yet he is other than us. He is the new Adam. He is a new head for humanity because Christ possesses the fullness of humanity and deity. Thus, this child to be born would be called holy, the angel says, the son of God. You see, as the angel explains this mystery, she encourages Mary by, by pointing to Elizabeth's unexpected pregnancy in her old age. And the angel tells her that for nothing will be impossible with God. God is able to do the miraculous, to send his son into the world through a miraculous conception to be born by a young virgin. You see, instead of responding with a thousand other questions, which I'm sure you or I would have if we received this announcement, how is this going to happen? What's, what's going to take place? Mary just simply receives the good news, doesn't she, from the angel and she humbly submits to God's will for her life. Look at Mary's response in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
See, she humbles herself as a servant. She, she embraces the word of the Lord brought through the angelic messenger. You see, I think Mary demonstrates a, a proper response to the message of Christmas, that of humility, that of trust, that of embracing the word of God. You see, the miraculous truth of God's blessed and supernaturally conceived king must be accepted in faith. And as we compare the response of Zechariah to that of Mary, we are left considering our own response to the events of Christmas. And so let's thirdly this morning, let's look at our response. How are you responding? How am I responding to the good news of Christmas? See, at Christmas time, we remember together the events that lead up to the birth of Jesus and his coming. And as we live in a world, in so many ways, disenchanted with the supernatural, with so many modern people being inherently suspicious of miracles, the Christmas story invites us to believe the impossible. It's the invitation, right? The, the Christmas story by default is a supernatural event of God acting in the world. And so the opening of Luke presents us with two babies. And Luke interweaves those stories to help us see God providentially working to bring about his king into the world. And so the conception of John was an impossible thing for an older woman well past her years of menopause conceiving a child from her husband, a child that she had longed for but never had. That's just not possible. But yet this baby, John, would be the, the one who prepared the way for the king, who would make straight his past, who would begin to usher in this movement, a spiritual renewal among God's people, making them ready to receive God's promised king in the person of Jesus. And just as John's conception was unlikely and supernatural and, 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 and possible by modern estimation. The conception of Jesus was even more impossible as Jesus was conceived by supernatural means through the working of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the young Virgin Mary, that she would be the one chosen by God to bear and nurse the Son the eternal king and savior who has come into the world. You see, as you hear this news, as you read the opening of Luke's gospel, how do you respond to these events? Do you respond with doubt and questions? Are you like Zechariah responding, how shall I know this? How can I know this is true? How is this possible? This doesn't seem reasonable or scientific or natural. There's just simply no way any of this stuff can be true. As you consider the, the good news of Christ's coming and the supernatural backdrop behind it, do you respond to the Christmas story with, with doubts and skepticism? Or do you respond with a humble heart? eager to believe in God's word and to embrace the God who makes the impossible possible? Do you respond to the coming of Jesus with joyous wonderment? Like Mary, how can these things be? I am a servant of the Lord. May God do in accordance with his word. You see, the incarnation of the Son of God is one of the most miraculous and profound mysteries of the Christian faith. And we must respond to that miracle 
with humility and joy and faith. J.I. Packer put it this way. He says, it is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the most profound, unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. God became man. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. You see, the incarnation of Christ is foundational in understanding the salvation of Christ. Because Jesus is fully God, he would endure the eternal judgment for human sin. Because Jesus is divine and human, he could drink the cup of wrath without bottom. Because Jesus is fully human, he can, he can do it as our mediator, as our substitute in our place. So as the early church father, Gregory of Nazianzus put it, he said, for that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. If only half Adam fell, then that which Christ assumes and saves may be half also. But if the whole of his nature fell, it must be united to the whole nature of him that was begotten and so be saved as a whole. What is he talking about there? Well, he says that the miracle of Jesus's conception and the virgin birth and the full union of his humanity and his deity in the person of Jesus Christ, this has profound implications on our salvation. That if the eternal son of God did not assume the fullness of humanity or the fullness of divinity, then we could not be wholly saved and transformed. Only half so. You see, we cannot reject the virgin birth in disbelief or suspicion. We cannot deny the deity of the full humanity of Jesus. You see, we live in an age marked by disbelief, by doubts, an age that rejects the supernatural, an age that recoils at any thought of miracles. But yet we must humble ourselves and we must embrace the reality of a God who is there, a God who makes the impossible possible. You see, the miracle of the incarnation is foundational for the miracle of our salvation. As we ponder the wondrous truths of Christmas, I pray that we as God's people would respond humbly in faith to this good news because God's King has come in the miracle of the incarnation as God becomes a man, as Jesus assumes the fullness of our humanity so that he might redeem the fullness of our corruption in order to bring us into the fullness of life with God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful Lord, for the precious good news of the coming of Jesus. Father, as we consider the opening of, of Luke's gospel, as we consider the, the baby John and the baby Jesus who was announced to their parents, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would not respond in disbelief to the good news of the miracle of Christmas, but, Lord, that we would respond humbly in faith, trusting, Lord, that your word is true. Lord, you have sent your son into this world. Lord, that your son eternal has become incarnate, has put on flesh, has dwelt among us, has united himself to humanity so that he might die in our place 
so that he might accomplish the salvation that we need. God, I pray, Lord, that as we ponder these wonderful Christmas truths, Lord, that we would not respond in disbelief, but trust. And God, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you, who has yet to respond in faith to Jesus. But I pray, Lord, that you would soften their heart or that you would overcome their, their doubts and their suspicions. And Lord, that they would believe what your word plainly says is true. And so trust in Jesus as their Savior and King. Father, we praise you for the gift of Christ. And Lord, we respond today with joy, with thanksgiving, with gladness, with trust. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.